0: Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss and thanks for listening. Every clinician has to deal with the task of matching the patient to a medication in such a manner as to reduce the side effects and optimize therapy. Until recently, in general practice, this has been more of a trial and error process. But work in an area known as pharmacogenomics is beginning to give us new tools with which to match the patient to the medication. Joining us today from London is Peter McGuffin, who is a professor of psychiatric genetics at the London Institute of Psychiatry. Dr. McGuffin, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Let's begin with a basic request. Please walk us through some of the history and the science. What is pharmacogenomics?
1: Okay, pharmacogenomics or pharmacogenetics is using genetics and genomics to predict who will respond best to what type of medication, who will get what sort of side effects, and some extent it's also aiming to uh, use some of those insights to uh, improve medications and maybe even discover new types of novel treatments.
0: So is this the topic that people bring to us when they wonder why somebody takes five milligrams of medication and has no response to it and they take 10 milligrams but it's supposed to be a five milligram dosing and yet they get better and they have no side effects at 10 milligrams is that the sort of thing that you're looking at?
1: Absolutely I mean, there are two things to consider. One is that there are individual differences in the way people metabolize medication. And the other is that there are individual differences in the way that people respond to medication. And some of those individual differences in in both instances are due to genetics.
0: So how does one go about testing for this? Are there standardized tests available now?
1: Well, there are some. We're getting towards standardised tests in the sense that uh, many psychoactive drugs are metabolised by a set of enzymes called the cytochrome P450 system, and we know that some of those enzymes have genetic variants in them that make some people metabolise rapidly, some people metabolise slowly, and some people metabolise at, at a, if you like, normal intermediate rate. So there are tests that one can do on those cytochrome P450. Enzyme genes. There's one particular gene called CYP2D6, which is actually terribly important in metabolizing, for example, antidepressants. But then there's another group of uh, of genes that uh, are involved in the targets at which drugs act or are thought to act. Those also um, show I- I individual variations, and those drugs also those those targets also may influence the way people respond to medications.
0: So how major a problem is this insofar as is there any sense of what percentage of people have dosing needs that are outside of the dosing recommendations come in the drug manufacturer's packages? Do we know how big a problem this is?
1: Okay, I'm, I'm going to give a very general answer. It's a substantial problem and why we can't actually put precise percentages on it is that it differs from population to population.
0: So, do the drug companies take this into consideration when they are developing a new medication?
1: Well, I think that there is heterogeneity there. Actually, I think some of the big pharmaceutical companies see pharmacogenetics as as potentially threatening because it might actually rule out some people responding to a particular form of medication, but others see it as an opportunity because, Uh, It gives insights into how drugs work and actually if your drug can be tailored to a particular population that, you know, is a potentially good thing in terms of marketing the medication.
0: Is it a, a very precise science yet, sir, or is it still one very much in development?
1: From my point of view, I think it's one still very much in development. It's underpinned by good science, and there's some very interesting discoveries which have been fairly consistent. However, I think we're at the stage, from my point of view, I think we're at the stage at the moment where we're trying to see whether the discoveries so far have any really good clinical implications. So we're just about to embark on a um, comparatively modest scale pilot study where we will uh, take a series of patients, probably about 40 in the first instance, and we will test them all genetically and then we will look back after a period of about 12 to 16 weeks uh, and we will break the code on the genetic tests and we will see whether we would have managed those 40 patients any differently had we actually known the genetic information at the start. Surprisingly not a lot of experiments have been done like that so far. What has been done so far is taking large groups of patients and we've just done this in a a big European study, uh, assign them to medications, uh, do genetic testing and see whether we can predict who responds and what sort of side effects they get. So we get, we're getting some answers from that type of study, which are interesting scientifically, but the question is whether they're actually applicable clinically so far, because some of the effects of these genes, although statistically significant, might not be clinically all that important.
0: I read in the recent publication in the American Journal of Psychiatry a very interesting comment that was in, your, in the paper that you were one of the authors. And it's the sort of thing that's intriguing and it's fascinating. It says a differential expression of these cytokines cytokines. Excuse me, may make some individuals more vulnerable to a subtype of depression that may be related to environmental exposures and a poor response to serotonergic antidepressants. This is a, this is a way of thinking that most psychiatrists traditionally have not used.
1: Yes, correct. That's right. And I think probably psychiatrists will begin to have to get used to this way of thinking.
0: It's fascinating. It is. Now, one of the things that intrigued me as I was reading and preparing for this is that a lot of this testing, correct me if I'm incorrect, please, sir, is that we seem to be looking with the genetic testing, not at understanding the effectiveness of medication, but more the tolerability. Is that a fair statement?
1: I think we're looking at both effectiveness and tolerability, actually. Obviously, it's important from a the perspective of patients if, if they can't tolerate drugs but also they, they also want to know that they're going to get better when they actually take the medication so it's really both things and i think most current pharmacogenetic research focuses on both development of unwanted effects and development of wanted effects are getting better from the disorder
0: so if it is more than just the tolerability because first reading and, and i looked at the in the united states the fda site and they have a whole lot on uh, this topic, and they, they call it personalized medicine.
1: And yes. The right
0: dose of the right drug for the right indication for the right patient at the right time. It's a very lovely phrase. Yes,
1: it is. But, uh, well, I was going to say, really, it, it, is, it is more than just tolerability. I mean, I can understand why agencies like the FDA who want things to be safe uh, focus on tolerability. But it's, it's also efficacy.
0: I think one of the biggest messages that comes from all of this is to take the sense of failure and guilt away from people if they don't respond to a medication and say it it, it may be the doctor's fault, it may be the clinician's fault because we really don't understand how to dose appropriate to the genetic makeup and the patient goes home and doesn't get better and thinks there's something wrong with them.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's an interesting thing, of course, about people suffering from depression. I've come across patients who actually feel guilty about even just taking medication, never mind not responding to it. We
0: note also in, in a lot of the work that previously unexplained or unexpected genomic regions in, in, our, in our genetic makeups may be more predictors of an antidepressant response than not. This sounds also very exciting in, in, in a whole new area and a way to look at this entire process.
1: Absolutely, and that relates to what I was saying earlier about understanding other mechanisms. I mean, of course, we know a lot, at least we think we know a lot about how antidepressants work, but a lot of what we do is looking where the light is, so we focus on serotonergic systems and so on. And as you mentioned, we have, we've neglected other areas that might be affected by antidepressants, such as cytokine activity.
0: Do you think that eventually this may result in the need to find a completely different class of antidepressants that do take the genetic variations into consideration?
1: yes and I mean that's part of the interest in doing other types of genetic studies other than pharmacogenetic studies so we and a lot of other groups are involved in genome-wide studies looking at genes involved in the etiology of depression because that may give us some fundamental insights into the other sorts of pathways that may be involved in this disorder or group of disorders that we just previously haven't thought of.
0: I don't know what it's like in England, but I know here in the United States, there are various chips that can measure the cytochrome P2C19 and cytochrome P2D6. Yes. Are, are, they, are they worth the time? Are they worth the money?
1: Uh, that's a key question. That's a key question, and I know that uh, such tests are being offered commercially. There is even a a company in the U.S. uh, who are offering not just cytochrome tests, but tests on, for example, serotonergic genes. Okay, my take would be we're just not quite there yet to be able to implement these tests in the clinic in a routine fashion, which is why, as I suggested earlier, we um, are planning to do studies where we will look at the extent to which having genetic information on top of our clinical information may alter the decisions that we actually make about patients.
0: Because it has a certain attraction to it. I mean, when the Wall Street Journal does a headline that says, FDA clears test for patient DNA to screen for drugs effectiveness, that's about as attractive as one can get.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So the the process here of exploring for the genetic makeup, how far back does it go? Is it something that's relatively new to our science, or has it been something that's been tinkered with for a very long time? We just didn't have the tools.
1: We just didn't have the tools. No, the, I mean the the idea of pharmacogenetics is is quite an old one. It goes back to the late fifties, early sixties. Uh, but of course, in those days, our knowledge about the genome was, was primitive compared with what we know now.
0: My, my question, of course, is I'm trying to bring this into the, some, some level of useful, usefulness for the practitioner. This is very fascinating and very intriguing work, but I think in the everyday process of treating a patient, it's more theoretical than practical yet. And I think that's what you're saying.
1: Well, uh, yes, I, I think we're close. We're close. I mean, no, I, there are uh, people who would be much more um, uh, enthusiastic about this than me. But I suppose, uh, even though we have different systems of healthcare, one of the converging issues in the U.S. and the U.K. is that managers, whether they be in our National Health Service or in private hospitals in the U.S., are concerned about their budgets and how they spend their money. And uh, and patients are obviously also concerned about costs. So, if I were to recommend to our hospital manager at the moment, should they routinely test all the patients in my clinic for their cytochrome P450 enzymes or their serotonergic genes, I would say no, let's do the study that I'm suggesting we do where we actually look to see whether those sorts of tests influence clinical
0: decision making. Just as a matter of information for those who are listening, most physicians, I know I do, behind my desk, I have a very long and complicated chart showing all the cytochrome P450 systems and which drugs interfere with which, which, which are inhibitors, which are inducers. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure how many doctors actually do that. I know that some of the software programs tend to uh, lean in that direction. But in, in England, do a lot of people consider the cytochrome P450 system when they dose medications or when they mix it, or is it more of a specialized academic thing as well?
1: I think it's a specialized academic
0: thing here. Hmm, because one has always come across problems when mixtures of medications are suddenly explained when you can explain it to them.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: It's it's quite a a problem. So this is an extremely fascinating area of medicine, and I'm so delighted that you're working so vigorously towards getting more and more uh, information about it. It's so incredibly helpful. It makes sense, you know. It just makes sense. It does, I agree. If I can ask you to predict, and I understand there is some danger in doing that, but if I can ask you to predict, do you see in another five or ten years to have, that we will have significantly very useful, cost-effective procedures to help people choose in advance or help the doctors help them choose in advance which medications will work best for them?
1: Are we looking at five or ten years? Okay, I hope so. I hope so. And I, I think that there's a good chance that my hope will be fulfilled.
0: This is very, very intriguing, and I do want to thank you for this very brief overview, but it's such an important topic, and people need to have a little bit of understanding of what it's all about. Peter McCuffin is a professor of psychiatry at the Institute of Psychiatry in London. Sir, thank you so much for explaining to us what is surely a fascinating new science, and hopefully in a year or two we can call you back and get an update and continue on this very important process. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Bye-bye.